Welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Our interview guest today is Joe Scally. Before we get going, you can sign up for a free or paid subscription to my newsletter at grantwall.com. It has all my writing, including magazine-style stories and on-site coverage of the men's and women's game. That's grantwall.com. Free seven-day trials are now available. In segment one, Chris Whittingham and I will break down the soccer news. We'll have my interview with Joe Scally in segment two, but let's bring in Witty. How are you, my friend? Doing all right, sir. At the end of a crazy set of Champions League games. That's as uh, interesting of a quarterfinal round as we've had for some time. It really is. And I guess we'll start with Wednesday, even though Tuesday was just an epic day. And this was maybe a slightly less epic day, but there was still plenty going on in these games. You had the two favorites for the tournament, Liverpool and Man City advancing, but having to earn their way there, Man City... 1-0 overall, 180 minutes with Atletico Madrid. 0-0 today, but it got a little wild toward the end of this. Atletico had chances to level it, didn't, and then had players sent off. All sorts of extracurriculars, Diego Simeone on the field, and... There was very little soccer being played for the last 10 or 15 minutes of this game, which was really not in Atletico's interest. Yeah, I saw a a great tweet, which was it had everything that a Libertadores tie would have except for a dog (laughs) on the field, Uh, which which is about right. Uh, Yeah, it was um, it was bonkers. And I just couldn't believe that Atletico were Atleticoing without the lead, needing a goal. Like, don't kick out at Phil Foden when you're down a goal. Don't crowd the referee for four minutes when you're down a goal. Don't start a melee when you're down a goal. And it was funny because there was people in the stadium who were like, all the Atletico fans love that. Like, they're after the game with their scarves over their heads, singing and creating a huge atmosphere. And it's almost like they live that identity more than they live winning (laughs) they didn't it's not even that important that they didn't win the game i have to be honest i'm happy they're out of the competition i don't i don't like seeing them in major knockout competitions i don't like this style i don't like watching games that involve cholo simeone i get it he's obviously done an incredible thing at atletico like the, the achievements that he has had are not anywhere in the stratosphere of where that club has been before i completely understand with the the work that he's done you can admire it from afar but afar is all I want to be away from <laughs> Atletico Madrid games because that was terrible. They even reduced Man City to being kind of a S housing team by the end of that. Oh, man. Yeah, it, it's Phil Foden, by the way, just I, I keep thought, I kept thinking of him as a low level criminal with his <laughs> headband, <laughs> his head wrap on and and acting out and. I, I don't know what to say except that when we see Liverpool and Man City play each other, as we saw last weekend, as we'll see this weekend, as we may see in the final of the Champions League, these are two really entertaining teams to watch. And Atletico is kind of the opposite, and especially in this competition, especially today. And I, I respect them. They won the Spanish League last year. They've done a lot of really impressive things results-wise under Simeone. But you're right in the sense that I I don't, I'm not going to miss them from this tournament and their approach. They did try to score today, at least 
from the start. They knew they needed a goal, but yeah, it got a little weird late where like, it didn't seem like they were doing as much as they could be doing to try and get that goal and they just weren't playing, but they're out now. And so on the other game, we had Liverpool advancing, but maybe with a little more difficulty than would have been expected uh, against Benfica, which scored, what, three goals? <laughs> I mean, yeah. like it was, I mean, it, Darwin Nunez, by the way, adding dollar signs and, and digits to his transfer fee, really impressive goal scorer, young player from Uruguay for Benfica. Um, but in the end here, you've got Liverpool and City, the two favorites, advancing to the semifinals. Yeah, I saw you mentioned Darwin Nunez, uh, price tag around 75 million euros per Fabrizio Romano. So uh, yeah, Benfica are going to make some money off of this transfer. For me, the interesting thing with Benfica is that they were kind of unafraid by the occasion. Now, Liverpool made a lot of changes uh, from their game at the weekend. That, in some ways, is their advantage heading into the FA Cup semifinal game with Man City this weekend, but... Benfica gave it a real go, and I think this has kind of been the round of underestimate your opposition at your own peril, um, because we'll get to Real in a second, um, but I, you know, even Benfica, it's like, oh, that'll be an easy one, and, and Nunez, I, I mean, I must, every time I looked up, he had scored an offside goal. And two, and one of them got overturned. There was another offside goal that got overturned, but they just kept putting themselves in position to go and score goals and cause Liverpool problems. And I think Allison makes a really important save at six four in the tie yep. uh, to to preserve that that scoreline. And if he doesn't make that save, then you know it's a huge finale. In some ways, it's kind of the same thing as what happened. And we'll get to the other Tuesday game as well with Tibor Courtois when at three two in the tie. Um, I guess it would have been four three in the tie. Uh, he makes a huge save to keep it that way so that Real Madrid can go and equalize the game before uh, extra time. But either way, you know, Benfica gave it a real go. And I think they were they really impressed with, with with the way that they performed. And I thought that they went they went out of this competition admirably. When early on it looked like it could have been a runaway in Liverpool, you know, they end up with an aggregate tie of you know eight or eight three or eight two or something like that, based out based off how easily they were scoring goals in the first half. Yeah, I just think it's another reminder. We get this every year, by the way, not to assume things in the Champions League knockout rounds. And I think people even assumed that. Ajax would get past Benfica in the last round, which didn't happen. People assumed that Juventus would get past Villarreal in the last round, didn't happen. And let's get to what happened on Tuesday because it was great theater. And it's funny, Bayern Munich going out was sort of the secondary story of the day. So let's talk about Real Madrid-Chelsea, the rematch of the semifinal from last year won by Chelsea. And Chelsea appeared to have an, a really all-time comeback against Real Madrid in the Bernabeu, 3-0 on the day at one point. Chelsea had completely turned the tables, gone in front. This was like the 75th minute when Timo Werner's goal went in, and you really thought, wow, this is just another Carlo Ancelotti flop and, and another just great moment for Chelsea in a you know, couple of years in which they've seen those moments. And then the whole Real Madrid thing kicked in and the Benzema and Modric thing kicked in. 
and we saw some pretty amazing stuff. Yeah, it's interesting. Real Madrid in this competition have so far not really played very much until they absolutely have to. I mean, other than the the, the first half against Chelsea, but you go back to that PSG tie, they kind of did nothing for 150 minutes, and then bang, next thing you know, PSG, you're out, and you're thinking, what the hell happened? And then the same thing happened here against Chelsea, where Chelsea completely dominated the first 75 minutes of that game, should have gone 4-0 up on the night, and, you know, 5-3 ahead on aggregate, but Thibaut Courtois, who I think, in, in some ways, like, there's been some really big goalkeeping moments. I thought Ederson had some big saves as well against Atletico towards the end uh, of that second leg as well. Jan Oblak as well kept them in it when, when Ilkay Gundogan was away one-on-one. He makes a big save. There's been some really big goalkeeping moments, and Courtois produ- produced a few of them, and he's produced, you know, throughout this Real Madrid season in La Liga and throughout uh, this Real Madrid season in the Champions League. But when they turned it on, it was like, okay... Like I, I thought, I thought once they scored the goal in extra time, that Chelsea were going to have a difficult time finding a route back, and that is what it ended up being. And you know, Real Madrid just have that pedigree, and it's a lot of the same guys that have been there throughout their run of winning four in a row. And it starts for me with Luka Modric. I, I don't think you will see a better play, a better highlight in soccer this year than that ball leading to that goal. It, you can watch it from every angle in the stadium. It is as beautiful of a moment of quality as there has been in this sport for some time. And he is just a a, a marvelous player. Like, it's one of those things where, you know, you try and find descriptions and adjectives and all that. He's just brilliant. Like, there's no other way to describe it. Luka Modric, the way that he picks passes out, the way that he's clean on the ball, he is a wonderful footballer. Really is. And I think we have this tendency sometimes uh, in sports media for a recency bias where people are like, this thing that I just saw is the best thing I've seen ever or in the last 10 years or whatever. And this was an, an example for me of not recency bias, of the, the ability to say this thing that I am seeing right now in front of me is something truly special, something bordering on historic. This is the best pass of this year that we'll probably see. And maybe the best pass of a few years because Modric's ability to even attempt it, to see it, when he had passes available to him that were much more obvious, much easier, less dangerous, and to actually attempt it with the outside of his boot, a distance, to time it perfectly. And even then, I was worried that Rodrigo would screw it up and wouldn't finish because it was possible for that to happen. Yeah. And yet he finished and it was just uh, a, in a such a huge moment that Real Madrid needed something like that and they got it. And Luka Modric is 36 years old and he's been doing some pretty remarkable things in the Champions League this season still. And it also is causing me to sort of take another look at my initial thoughts on like the World Cup draw. Like I actually thought that Canada, when they drew Belgium and Croatia in their group, I was thinking, you know what? Belgium and Croatia are very good. They're obviously semi-finalists at the last World Cup, but they're both on the old side. And that is true. But seeing what Luka Modric is doing in Champions League, is there any reason to think he can't do that in the World Cup? Because no, I think he can. No, it's in seven months' time. Of course he can do that. Yeah, I mean, he is 
like it, it, in some ways this might be like sort of the age in this sport of like the old player i know it's going to sound strange but like i mean it's always going to be a young man's game but you know i think the way that players are aging now is a little different just based off of you know the health information that we have and the way that players recover and don't put bad calories in their body and look some of them do and you can tell by the way that they age but I mean it's pretty clear that Luka Modric takes care of himself based off of how well that he's played how well that he's aged and you know in some ways I would so where my mind went was not the World Cup I was like well this is sort of the age where a player like Luka Modric would think about going to MLS but I, I don't I think he's too good. I, I think he's still playing too well to consider a move to MLS at this point because he still has so much to give to big champions league clubs and produce these sorts of moments. But what a sheer moment of quality. And, you know, and, and I think, you know, heading into the next leg or in, into the next round when they play Manchester City. He is going to figure large, and Man City are going to have to do something to make sure that doesn't happen. You're right, though, about you know Rodrigo's finish, because it's not an easy finish. You're still taking the ball on the volley out of the air at, a, at an angle that you might not expect, and you're worrying about it clearing the defender, and the, the highlight doesn't live on in quite the same way if he doesn't put it away. But now, I mean, yeah, can, can a goal like can, can an assist be the greater reason for a Puskas award than the goal itself? <laughs> Because yes, if, yes, because if there course. is a, if there is a reason for that, then maybe that's a Puskas Goal of the Year nominee. Nice, I like that idea, that nomination. I, I would also say, like, how should we feel about Christian Pulisic's chances? The two chances he had late in the game. Should we feel like this was a major miss for him at a really big opportunity, a big time of the game, or should we look at it as Pulisic put himself in the positions? to finish. I think they're big misses. Uh you know, and and I Christian is always going to have that ability to get into good chance opportunities because that's I would say probably his greatest skill set as an attacker is secondary movements, runs off the ball to be in good positions to score, but he missed. And that's going to happen. And frankly, I'm like I'm I'm a bit cool about it just because Chelsea don't win the Champions League last year without his performances against Real Madrid in the Champions League. So I, I think he's got some credit in the bank. I will say, though, if you're just analyzing this from a pure kind of neutral point of view and we're not thinking about it through an American lens, Thomas Tuchel kind of made a big mistake by taking Timo Werner out for Christian Pulisic. And I know that that's harsh to say on Pulisic's account, but Timo Werner was great at the weekend against Southampton. I thought was really good in this game, was unlucky to not get a goal before uh, he notched what was a go-ahead goal in the tie at the time. And, you know, maybe he wasn't fit because he hasn't really played that much for Chelsea in the last couple of months. And that's a lot of football destined to play in a short space of time. But he's he's been really good in these last couple of games for Chelsea. And if I were a Chelsea fan, I would have been sad to see him walk off. Let's talk about the other game, which was... In the end, the biggest surprise result this week, Villarreal advancing past Bayern Munich on a late goal by Chukweze, the young 22-year-old Nigerian, on a really, really breathtaking counterattack by Villarreal, who came into this game with a very clear strategy. They came in with a one-goal lead, and they were going to try and make it difficult for Bayern Munich in the Allianz Arena, and they did. You know, they they wasted time. They tried to control the ball. They absorbed chances from Bayern Munich and a lot of pressure. And Bayern Munich dominated possession, as you would have expected. But you and I had talked about, and I'll raise my hand here, the possibility of a Salzburg-like second leg uh, 
as we saw in the last round from Bayern Munich, and not only did that not happen, Bayern Munich lost. And that's the result that I would not have predicted at all heading into this round. I felt like Bayern Munich had a real chance to win the tournament, and now they're out. I thought Bayern were the favorites heading into the, heading into this draw just because of the fact that they're playing Villarreal. And again, underestimate teams that make the latter stages of the Champions League at your own peril. Like, Villarreal, just because of their name and reputation and everyone's done the same thing about the... It's a town population, 35,000 in Spain. It's a, it's a well-known story at this point, but uh, underestimate them in your own peril. Unai Emery is a great coach in Europe. And that's that's another person you have to give a ton of credit to. And I know it's it's easy, and in other sports, I think too often we're quick to give coaches credit when we can't really explain what happened. And when you look at the starting lineup for Villarreal, it's kind of an ex Premier League All Stars. Uh, when you yeah. look at you know Francis Coquelin and Etienne Capou and Giovanni Lo Celso and Juan Foyth, uh, and even Serge Aurier who came off the bench uh, in in this game for Villarreal, even a player like Raúl Albiol, I was like, wow, Raúl Albiol still out here doing it 36 <laughs> years old i remember him in the confederations cup uh and it, you know it, it's it's one of those things where you look at names on a sheet and think well it, clearly it's the coach but you have to give credit i would say them and atletico and atletico i think un- underutilized this skill set yes they defend and they defend resolutely but they also have the technical quality to occasionally play out of the trouble that they you know caused themselves by playing in such a deep shape i thought atletico played through man city's press really well on Tuesday, but uh, Villarreal were able to play a little bit out of the trouble late in the game, and as you mentioned, that sweeping counterattacking move, I was really surprised on the goal that Gerard uh, Moreno, when he gets slipped in, that he goes for the back post service rather than try and take a strike on himself because it seemed like he had a route towards goal. But then once you see the bend on the ball, you see uh, the, the the attacker arriving. I say attacker because I have to make sure they have Chukweze in front of me to make sure that I can pronounce it correctly. Uh, but in, like once you see it open up for him, you realize there's only one outcome there. It's going in the back of the net and Villarreal are going to the semifinal to take on Liverpool. And again underestimate them at your own peril. Liverpool are very good. They're probably going to have most of the ball. They're going to have a lot of chances, but Villarreal will cause them a problem. I think they will. And we've talked about this before, just how some teams are well set up for cup competition. And Chelsea is that way to an extent under Tuchel too. They probably have more talent than a Villarreal, but I think Emery's team is well suited for cup competition and they know it. And and Juventus and now Bayern Munich uh, have learned the hard way. It, it It's something I tweeted out today, which I thought was, it's just interesting to me. You mentioned the the Premier League cast-offs, and there's so many of them, including the coach with, with Villarreal, that like I can't think of another team, even historically, that has succeeded with so many so-called failures in, in England. Um, you know, and, and Diego Forlan is is the prime example of a guy who was viewed as a complete washout at Manchester United, goes to Villarreal from 2000, I think, four to seven around there, and becomes the top goal scorer in the Spanish league and becomes Diego Forlan as we ended up knowing him, the guy who was terrific in the World Cup in 2010 and uh, for Uruguay and, and just a terrific player. And I really do think Villarreal has made more than any other club, a history of doing this. And it shows how situational success can be. And I sometimes think about this in terms of the NBA as well. But like, if you're, 
in the right situation, you can be successful. And if you're in the wrong situation, you can have a lot of talent, but you might be a failure. Agreed. And that's something that we should probably know intuitively, just that, you know, any person in any walk of life, every environment is different, right? A good employee is not a, is not a great fit for every single setting, just as it's the same thing for soccer, right? We think that like, if you have a skill set in one arena, that that same that it'll apply no matter the arena or no matter the context or the system or whatever the case may be. But clearly, this club has figured out a way to take players who didn't work elsewhere and kind of see the positives there. And it's a risk, right? Because you know you could be taking up and comers from your own league and try and find more proven commodities. But I think. You know, even within MLS, you see this sometimes where you know, a team like Colorado has built a context for players to thrive where maybe they weren't able to thrive in other places. Um, and I think that's what this club has done. And I don't think that, you know, if you're a fan of a team that like, for example, I honestly was getting to the point with Timo Werner before this last week, oddly enough, where it's like, this is just not going to happen for him at Chelsea. Doesn't mean he's a bad player. He scored 28 goals in a season for RB Leipzig in the Bundesliga. Just maybe not this league, maybe not this club. And he'll go and figure it out somewhere else and be a really good player somewhere else. But that that is that can often be the case, and we often forget that. So let's just go ahead and wrap up. I do want to say, though, we are recording this before the CONCACAF Champions League semifinal League 2 on Wednesday night between Seattle and New York City. Seattle's got a 3-1 advantage going into that second leg. We're going to get an MLS team in the final against Pumas, which surprised Cruz Azul down in Mexico. So a real opportunity for an MLS team to win the CONCACAF Champions League for the first time since the uh, format changed and it went to a league situation. That goes all the way back to 2008. So um, I think Seattle's going to do it. We'll see if uh, New York City can mount a comeback. But maybe we should talk about that on the weekend mm-hmm. when we have a chance to look forward to the final and because and, it's a it's a potentially cool moment for MLS. But uh, in any case, lots of good soccer going on. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Greg. Now, here's my interview with Joe Scally. Our guest now is Joe Scally, the 19-year-old American fullback who's having a breakout season at Borussia Mönchengladbach in Germany. Gladbach is currently seven points out of a European berth in the Bundesliga, and it's hosting eighth place Köln this Saturday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN+. Joe, congratulations on everything you're doing, and thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, So you've been totally thrown into the fire this season from the start. You now have 23 starts in the League and Cup and counting. How would you describe what the experience has been like for you this season in the Bundesliga? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's crazy. I didn't even know it's been 23 starts, but, but that sounds uh, that sounds very, very nice. I mean, it's been a, a dream start for me so far. It's been crazy to be just be thrown into the league. You know, I was with the second team last year and I never would have thought that that the season would would go out like how it's been. But I mean, uh, you know, I'm very proud of myself. I'm very proud of everything. So it's been great. So you're a natural right back, but you've been playing a lot of left back this season as well due to injuries for other players at times. How different are the skill sets for right and left back? Yeah, I mean, uh, of course it's it's similar. A lot of people would say it's similar, but the, you know, when you play, you know the. The little difference is, for example, receiving the ball. I'm not able to receive it on my strong foot with my right, so I have to switch to my left. Defending, you'll be always facing one way. And then on the left side, you have to switch. So it's just different 
mechanics when when sprinting when when defending but i mean when you get into the attack it's nice because maybe you can cut in every shot far post but that's the one nice part about it but uh yeah it's of course a lot of people would say it's similar but those are those are the main differences okay interesting so yeah. if you had to pick one sort of pinch me moment it's wild for me to be in this situation moment this season what would it be? One, I have two right off the top of my head, if I could say two. Okay. But I'll say one. I'll say my, my Wolfsburg goal, definitely, I would say, is my one. This is the last minute. You know, this is great. And what made it better was was going. it was international break. I wasn't called in. So I was able to go home that week. The coach let me go home. So I scored. And the next day, I was able to go home. And this was, oh, this is amazing. So this was, this was I would say, the one pinch me moment because the whole crowd in Wolfsburg, we didn't win there in like, like 16 years or something like that. Just went silent. And we won 3-1. But if I'm able to say two, the one we beat Bayern uh, 5-0 in the cup, this is crazy also. These are the two moments, I would say, by far, that stands out. <laughs> is there any moment in the moment of beating Bayern 5-0 that you remember the most? You usually don't like to be subbed out, but in this moment, I got subbed out. I forget when it, it was like uh, maybe the, the 70, no, not the, 70, the 80th minute, and we were already winning 5-0. And we had a full stadium, I think it was like 52,000. And I was just happy to be subbed out so I can enjoy all of it. You know, you can really soak it in because when you're on the field, you're not looking at the fans, everyone's screaming and cheering the whole time. So this is the one time I would say I was happy to be subbed out and just just soak it all in. This is great. That's awesome. Uh, So you've got just five league games left this season. So you're almost at the end. What are you hoping to get out of these remaining games? Yeah, I mean, uh, for the team, it's going to be tough five games. I mean, we have the, the Derby on the weekend against Cologne, which of course is going to be a very tough game, but... You know, we want to get redemption from last time. And uh, I mean, the rest of the games are going to be difficult. Every every opponent that we're facing, I, I believe, is ahead of us on the table. So we're just trying to collect as many points as we can. And it's interesting, I think, as well. I know you're close to Gio Reyna. I hope he's doing okay this week after his injury. Could you explain to our listeners how far back you and Gio go and how often do you see each other in Germany? Yeah, I mean... Uh, I just got like a snapshot memory in my phone, like when the when things pop up from six years ago with me and Gio. So that basically made me realize like, wow, me and Gio, we've been close for about six years now, starting at the NYCFC Academy to, to everything with the youth national teams. And, and then to be like 50 minutes away in Germany, it's crazy. We, we try and see each other. We've been golfing a lot. We both like golf. So they just opened up a top golf here. That is perfect. It's 30 minutes from both of us. So I swear we're there like, two to three times a week we've been there recently and uh yeah it's been great so we see each other, we see each other a lot but most of the time when we hang out i like each other's houses he comes to me because in, in dusseldorf where i live there's more things to do than where he is i have been to dortmund and dusseldorf i would concur yeah. with that um and i i'm sort of collecting over time stories about geo being crazy competitive from like his dad and, and his mom and, and other people and, and maybe you're part of this being you might be crazy competitive yourself do you have a favorite story that you tell uh, i don't know i mean even at top golf you know we play the virtual courses and it gets intense with with match play and and stroke so i mean we're both super competitive i think with the golf now it's gotten really fun because we can we can play each other in that and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, a story, I don't know. I, I really couldn't tell you, but there's going to be some coming. So next time we talk, there's going to be one about golf. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty crazy. The New York City Academy has recently had you, Gio Reyna, James Sands. All of you are playing in Europe now. What was special about that academy 
to produce those kinds of talents. Yeah. I mean, if you look at our, our starting 11 in the national championship against LA Galaxy, even for LA Galaxy, the players on this field, it was crazy. I think every single player is a pro now. So to be playing with, with Gio, James, Andres, all these guys who are now pros, Tavon, Justin, Justin Hack. I mean, it was a great place to develop, I would say. We even had a great coach, Matt Pilkington, who's the second team coach now for New York City. And I mean, we just, we learned so much from him. And I mean, when you're playing with all these good players at such an age, you're going to, you're going to get better. You know, it's not like you're, you're going to drop because you need to, if you want to keep playing in the, in this youth team, you need to really step up with the players like this. So I, I would say it was a great development for me and for all the other players. I mean, back in 2019, you were on this extremely talented U.S. Under-17 World Cup team with Reyna, Gianluca Buzio, George Bello, Ricardo Pepe. All five of you are in Europe now, four of you in Germany. What is it about Germany that's so attractive to young Americans like you guys? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, most young Americans who come to Germany, you see, they just, they've just been really pers- perspiring. Oh, my turn, my English, not so good now. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I think just, just all the Americans who, who come here, I've just, you've seen they have good outcomes and they've been a chance and, and Germany is a great league for young players and young Americans. I mean, Pulisic has led the way. And he's shown that, you know, the Americans can do it, can do it in Europe. And then Gio came over, Tyler, everyone just came and it's done really well. So I think it just, it, it attracts the young American. Oh, that makes sense. Um, so I know both your parents played sports. Your mom played soccer. Your dad played basketball. Could you share their names and what their backgrounds were in their respective sports? Yeah, my dad is John Scally. He, yeah, he played basketball in, uh, in where we live now at the, at the high school. And, uh. Yeah, he was a good basketball player. He played at Concordia College, and he always likes to tell us that he he set the scoring title there. But but it's funny the the school is closed down, so we tell him that he didn't go he didn't go to college. So it's funny. But uh, yeah, and then my mom uh, my mom's Margaret Scally. Uh, she played soccer for for the local just a local school team, and uh, and my grandpa was her coach. So he always likes to say that he started all the all the soccer in the family. Every time he says the same story, so it's funny. But but. Uh, yeah, that, that's their background in sports. I would say my dad is probably the, the better athlete than my mom. Okay. But she, she won't like to hear this, but I, <laughs> I, I have to think so. And, and did you have any choices that you made early on? Like, were you into other sports besides soccer? Or how early did you decide to focus on soccer? Yeah, I basically tried every sport besides football and baseball. I played lacrosse when I was younger and I just didn't really like to have all the equipment on me during the summer. I thought it was the worst thing ever. So I hated this. And since my mom and dad, my dad played basketball, my mom played soccer. These are the two sports that, that I just played and I loved. And my sister plays uh, soccer and basketball. My brother plays soccer and basketball. So we've all basically played these two sports and, and I've loved it. It was the worst thing giving up basketball. I hated it, but it, it was so cool. Uh, in my, I was in eighth grade. My brother was in 12th grade. I was I'm not going to say I was good. I was okay at basketball and I was lucky enough to, to be on the school team with him, uh, the varsity team. And I swear this was my favorite year of sports playing with my brother. It was so much fun. It, we would joke around. It, it was amazing. He likes to tell me that we had the worst season. I think we won two games out of like 20. And he says, I wrecked his senior year every time, you know, because I would always like, I would always get turnovers and stuff, but it was so much fun. Pretty impressive. You were playing for the varsity at that age, by the yeah. way. So that's Thank what you. I would say to him. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. So the U.S. just qualified for the World Cup. 
if if anyone asks me which uncapped U.S. player I think will be on the World Cup roster, you are the first name I say. How are you viewing things right now with the U.S. men's national team moving forward? And have you had any recent contact with Greg Berhalter? Yeah, I, mean, uh, I was ecstatic when they qualified. Of course, that's great. I'm so happy. Uh, you know, the U.S. is in the World Cup where where we should be. I, I hope to be with the team. And I, this question blew up on social media. Oh. Joe, Scali, and Greg don't have contact, blah, blah, blah. But uh, of course, you know, you know, we have contact. So I'm not going to say we don't have contact. Of course, I'm hoping to be with the team. But whatever happens, I'm a, I'm a U.S. citizen. So I'm rooting for U.S., you know, always. And so I hope I'll be there. And if not, I hope for the best. You came into the U.S. camp in November. What was that experience like? Yeah, it was great. You know, it was great to uh, pick up on, on other players, you know, to have a full American environment when you're in Germany. You know, it stinks when you don't hear the, the American language like like at home. But yeah, the camp was good. Thought I had a good camp. It was great to, you know, witness USA versus Mexico, one of the greatest rivalries and went 2-0, dos a cero. So that, that was really cool. I thought it was it was great to be around the guys, just to you know get to learn the system, get to get to know the coaching staff, the players, and, and become one of the group. So it was really nice. And where were you when you saw the U.S. clinch a berth in the World Cup? Yeah, I was in Germany, so I had to stay up late and I- watch the game. So yeah, it was great. Nice. Yeah, I mean, what time was that coming on? Probably fairly late your time. Yeah, I think like three, three in the morning. I'm not sure. I forget, <laughs> but it was late. I just know it was late. <laughs> so. I'm talking to you from New York City, where I live. You're from this area. What do you miss the most from New York that you cannot get in Germany? Just wow. Bagels. I'd have to say bagels. I, wow, I do I miss bagels. I always tell my mom to, to bring bagels when they come with my family. They're always stale. It's the worst thing. And they're always stale. They're always stale. They're never like, like you get them fresh. So the, so the first thing I do when I go home, I get bagels and pizza. Pizza always too. These two things are two things I miss the most. It's interesting because I, I hear those sometimes when I talk to guys in Germany. I also hear like Mexican food. I remember like Polisic saying that he drove two hours to go to a Chipotle in Frankfurt, which sounded like the most ridiculous thing ever. Like, have you done any journeys like that for American stuff? No, I haven't done any journeys like that. I do know that the one Chipotle in Germany is in Frankfurt. So it's funny you say that, but I haven't, I haven't done anything like that. And then I guess one just overarching question I would ask, what do you want to achieve in your career? Yeah, of course, I, I, want, to, I want to play in the Champions League one day. I want to play in the World Cup. And, you know, I just want to continue to play in the top league in Europe and, you know, go on to have a great career, establish myself in a team, be starting every game. And, and yeah, that's what I want. A um, couple more questions here, and I appreciate the time. So, like, you've learned presumably a fair amount about Gladbach as a club, and what is that? What would you like people here in the U.S. to know about Borussia Mönchengladbach? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great club. I mean, it's a great stadium. It's great fans. It's everything. It's a family culture, you know, team environment with the fans. And it's great to say, uh, you know, they always told me, uh, say you make a mistake, you know, the fans aren't going to start booing you and all this. I mean, it just goes to show you how great fans are. They, these fans cheer you on. These fans really, they push you. So I would say this is a great family-loving club. And Everyone supports you no matter what. And I'm going to give away my age here because I remember covering Lilian Turam when he won the World Cup with France back in 1998. Amazing player, obviously. And now his son is your teammate, Marcus. And, and he's a goal scorer, so it's completely different from his dad. 
Have you gotten to know him at all? Have you gotten a sense of what he's about? Yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah, he speaks perfect English, so it's so funny. And he's so into the, you know, the United States. He's always on vacation in the United States. So I would say he's like the most American on the team, if there, if that makes sense out of anyone. So it's, it's great to talk to him because he knows all the little like, uh, you know, the slang and, and all these things that the young kids know. So it's great to talk to him. It's funny to me because his dad actually still, the one language he never learned because he speaks a bunch is English. And so he and his dad and I talk in Spanish together when we talk and he's been to New York a few times, but that's interesting to uh, me. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, Marcus is perfect. Interesting. Perfect. Yeah. So it, this is all good to know here about like how, how it works inside the team. Are there other guys on the team who speak great English or that you enjoyed doing that with? Yeah, I mean, everyone uh, speaks like English, you know, good enough to where you could where you could hold a conversation. It's just he knows the the like the slang, the language, so it's funny to to talk to him because you really can just talk freely and not like broken English. So it's fun, but I mean, yeah, every, everyone speaks you know good enough English. And are you planning on getting back to the New York City area this summer? Yeah, I think directly after the after the last game, I'll, I'll be flying home straight to straight to Long Island. So enjoy my time off there. Awesome. Well, Joe Scally is a 19-year-old American fullback who's having a breakout season at Borussia Mönchengladbach. Joe, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Fred. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. I'd like to thank Joe Scally as well as producer and pundit Chris Whittingham. You can now sign up for a free or paid subscription to my newsletter at grantwall.com. Free seven-day trials are now available. The best way to support my work is by taking out a paid subscription. See you next time.